Uh, welcome to our online people. Welcome to our people in the Unity Hall. And of course, welcome to everybody here in the room with us. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy to be here and I'm thankful for Pastor Deal. I think he's watching online right now. He was here for the 930 service. Uh, thankful for the opportunity that he's given me to speak. And, uh, you know, several months ago, he invited me to speak as well. And I ended up being sick that day. And uh, I think he ended up having to preach uh, the, the message that uh, uh, from my notes and stuff. Of course, he made it his own. But I promised him this time that I didn't care if I had to crawl up here on the platform that I was going to be here. So uh, I made it. Woo! Um, so we are continuing with our study on the life of Jacob. And just to kind of recap a little bit, uh, Jacob was a figure in the Old Testament and a very important figure. And, uh, you know, we, we started talking about how he was kind of a sketchy dude. You know, he, he did some things that were not really in line with, with what we would consider like a biblical hero, how, how they would act. I mean, though, of course, if we read through the Bible, we find out that all those biblical heroes are pretty much just like us, right? You know? Or like me, anyway. Maybe you guys are all good. But, um, but anyway, so like, you know, he, he uh, cheats his brother out of his birthright. He cheats his brother out of his father's inheritance. And then, you know, he's like running for his life because now Esau, his brother, is ticked at him, you know, and he's breathing, breathing threats against him. So he runs for his life over to his uncle Laban's house, uh, lands far away, and he's going to try to find a wife there. Well, then Laban kind of turns the tables on him a little bit, you know, and, and Laban is sketchy with him. And so he ends up with two wives and a bunch of kids and, and all sorts of stuff. Pastor Adam unpacked that train wreck for us last week. And uh, so that brings us to where we are now. So now... Jacob has his two wives, and if you, if you count their servants, then he's got four wives. He's got 11 kids. He's got all this wealth, and now he's coming back. And so he's coming back towards his homeland, and he sends out some scouts or some messengers ahead of him, and he finds out that Brother Esau knows he's coming. And Brother Esau is coming towards him. And Brother Esau is coming with 400 men. And so Jacob is like, Oh no, he's still mad at me. What am I going to do? And so he prays this amazing prayer of faith. And you're reading through this and you think, wow, that's amazing. How cool is that? That's awesome. But then right after that, what does he do? He falls right back into his old ways of conniving and, and being sneaky and all these things. So he divides up his, his stuff into like three different groups and he sends one ahead. Then he sends the next one and then he sends the third one. And it's all like a bribe to try to make Esau, you know, like, okay, yeah, you give me stuff so I won't kill you, all right? And so instead of trusting God, he just goes right back to his old ways. And we're gonna pick up that story in Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 through 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, 
It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Now, that's a story that uh, a lot of us are probably familiar with. I know I've read it multiple times. Uh, but as I was, I was reading and praying and studying for this message over the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit started to really bring some things out to me. And I want to share those things with you today. And so the first thing that, that kind of jumped out at me was that we often encounter God when we're alone. Uh, verse 24, the first part says, So Jacob was left alone. He'd sent away his family, he'd sent away his servants, he'd sent away all of his stuff, and it was just him in the camp. And it was at that point that the man, who of course later in the story we realized was not really a man, it was God, because he said, I saw God face to face and lived, that's when the man came to wrestle with him. It wasn't until he was alone. And see, that's my story too. Years ago, back in early 2003, I had just gotten out of a relationship, and I had poured everything that I had, my heart, my soul, everything was wrapped up in this relationship. See, I, was gonna, I had planned on marrying this girl. It was going to be amazing. I was going to spend the rest of my life with her. And when that relationship ended, I had nothing left. I mean, I still had a good job and stuff, but as far as like emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually, I just had nothing. And I was at the place where I wasn't eating. I was drinking all the time. I was smoking like a chimney. I weighed 140 pounds, if you can imagine that. I was just sick, mentally sick, physically sick, emotionally sick, spiritually sick. And it was at that point when I had nowhere else to go, when I was finally at the very bottom, when I was thinking, why should I even bother to continue to live? That is when Jesus came to me, because that was when I was finally ready to receive him. I had to be emptied of myself. Now, not everybody necessarily is going to have a super dramatic or traumatic experience like that. I know a lot of you folks probably, uh, you know, have had terrible things happen in your lives, and I'm so sorry for that. But I know some people haven't necessarily, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to get to a place where we're empty before God. See, I, lo I love what uh, uh, Charles Henry McIntosh, who was a preacher from the 1800s, said, and he says, to be left alone with God is the only true way of arriving at a just knowledge of ourselves and our ways. No matter what we think of ourselves, nor yet what man may think about us, the great question is, what does God think of us? And the answer to this question can only be learned when we are left alone. Away from the world, away from self, away from all the thoughts, reasonings, imaginings, and emotions of mere nature, and alone with God. Thus, and thus alone, can we get a correct judgment about ourselves. And as I was, uh, as I was preparing this message, and you know, I was thinking and praying, I'm like, man, I need, I need a good illustration for this. I, I need something to figure out about this. And so I was talking with Pastor Adam, and you know, so I decided not to do the baby doll thing, because you know, that had already been done. Uh, he did let me borrow his rock. Uh, so I've got his rock. He let me borrow that, so we'll see that a little bit later. But I love how God works, because Wednesday morning, I was praying about this, and I was listening to a message uh, just this past Wednesday uh, by uh, Pastor Matt Keller of Next Level Church in Florida. And I was listening to that, and it was called Get Your Life Back. And one of the things that he was preaching on is like so many of us, we just feel tired. 
We feel drained. We feel like burned out. Like, the, you know, this world around us is just, you know, sucking us dry. And he's like, why do we feel that way? And he says, because we're getting filled with the wrong things. And he was talking about how, like, you know, imagine your life or your heart as a cup. And you've got this cup, and you want to be filled with God. But if there's no room left in that cup because you filled it with all these other things, there's no room for God in there. And I thought, ding, right there. That's my sermon illustration, so thank you, Pastor Matt. But So it's like this cup right here, this is empty, except for that. You didn't see that. Um, I used this in the first service, too. But So, you know... Pretend that this cup was empty. And, uh, you know, like, when I put water in this cup, now it's full. So even if somebody came to me and gave me, like, the most amazing, awesome beverage ever, I can't put that into this cup because this cup is already full. It's a great illustration, too, because I usually like to have a cup of water up here. So it's, like, double, double duty there. But um, So think about it, though. What is in your life that has filled your cup? What needs to be emptied out of your cup? For me, it was that relationship. It was my reliance on self. It was all of those things. Maybe for you, it's money. Or maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's video games. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's sorrow. Maybe it's bitterness. Whatever is in your heart that is keeping you away from God, that's what needs to get dumped out of your cup. And it's sometimes it's different for all of us. And not all of those things are necessarily bad. Like, it's good to have a job. You know, there's nothing wrong with sitting down and, and watching, you know, an hour of, of Netflix or something. There, there's not anything wrong with that. But when it comes between us and God, it becomes what's called an idol. And it's something that we're worshiping instead of God. And if you want what God has for you, you've got to get rid of those idols out of your life. Just like I had to, and I have to, continuing. The next thing that I want us to see is that wrestling is hard and tiring. And see, they wrestled all night long. Verse 24, the end of it, says, And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, that is a long time to wrestle. Now, when I was younger, when I was in high school, I used to watch, like, WWE and, and WWF and stuff like that. Don't judge me. Um, and, uh, you know, those guys... I, you know, that's not real wrestling, right? Those guys are great athletes. They can do some cool stuff. They're in way better shape than I am, so I'm not throwing rocks at them. But, like, I'm talking like a collegiate wrestler or an Olympic wrestler, even a high school wrestler. I mean, those guys are animals, you know? They're incredibly uh, fit. They have incredible endurance. They're super strong. They can do all these weird things where, you know, they're flipping you upside down and stuff. My, my buddy Isaac, uh, way back when, this was like 2004, I was still a bachelor, and uh, I was doing some martial arts training. And he came over one day, and uh, I was doing some training. I said, hey, why don't you spar with me? I'm thinking, you know, I'm a tough dude. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this, this guy down real easy, you know. Well, he was a wrestler in high school. So, you know, I'm like, come on, man. And, like, he's throwing me around like a rag doll. I mean, I, I was upside down and left and right. I had no idea what was going on. Like, you know, that's what a wrestler is like, and that's what these guys were doing. Like, that's not like, you know, playing patty cake. This is, this is a big deal. This is a hard thing. And so I always think, like, when God came to him as the man, why did he wrestle with him? Like, out of all the different things he could have done, he could have spoken a prophecy. He could have sat down and eaten with him. You know, these are other things we've seen God do when, when he comes to people in the Old Testament. But he wrestled with him. And I think the reason for that is because he knew 
that Jacob was not yet at the place where he had fully surrendered to God. See, because remember, he had just prayed this amazing prayer of faith, right? We just talked about that. But what did he do? He went right back to his old pattern of trying to arrange things himself. See, even, even back before he went to Uncle Laban's, like, you know, 14 years ago, he was on his way and he had this amazing vision of, of God and, and angels coming up and down uh, the ladder to heaven and God spoke to him in that dream or vision. And that's what this, that's what this rock was. This was the, the pillow that, you know, Jacob had his head on during that. And like, you know, he said, okay, God, when he woke up, said, okay, I make a vow that if you'll take care of me, if you bless me, then you'll be my God and I will be your servant. See, he was talking the talk. But he hadn't yet gotten to the point where he was walking the walk. And see, sometimes we all have that same thing, right? Like there was a time in my life, it was actually just like seven, eight years ago. I was a Christian. I was saved. But I was so empty. I was so dry. Like I, I, I kind of didn't even care, really. Like, yeah, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. But man, my fire was almost out. You know, my wife would be like, all right, hey, it's time, it's time for church. I'd be like, ah, I'm tired. I'm just going to stay home today. She's like, what? No, I got a headache. I'm just going to stay home today. My wife would bring my children to church while I stayed home on the couch. I'm so thankful that God did not leave me there. Just a couple of months towards the end of uh, 2013, I started to have some problems. I went to the doctor, and they did some surgeries and some tests, and I got the cancer diagnosis. Now, praise God, seven years later, here I am, you know, cancer-free, it's, you know, God has taken wonderful care of me. But let me tell you, thank you. I mean, give him the glory. I didn't do anything. I just showed up for my doctor visits. Um, but I'm so thankful that God used that in my life to shake me out of my apathy, to shake me up, to remind me that I had nothing without him and that I could have the entire world, but if I lost my soul in the process, none of it would matter a hill of beans. See, sometimes these bad things or these negative things happen in our lives and we automatically think, oh, that's an attack from the enemy. Now, let me tell you, we do have an enemy and the enemy does attack us and he does try to take us down. Scripture is very clear. It says that Satan, you know, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can, deli- who he can devour. But sometimes the trouble that is in your life, God is allowing that because it might turn you back to him. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, pain is God's megaphone. Sometimes he uses those things to get our attention, to draw us back to him, just like he did with me. And I'm so thankful that he did that because I wouldn't be standing before you today. I'd probably be home on the couch. I love hearing Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 says, they, meaning our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. When I discipline my children, I don't discipline them because I'm angry with them. I don't discipline them because I want to hurt them. I discipline them because I want to steer them back onto the right path. And it's the same in our lives. When God comes and wrestles with us, often it's because he's trying to get us back onto the right path that we have walked away from. Wrestling also requires great endurance. 
If you've ever actually wrestled or you've done any kind of sport where you're using like burst energy or something that takes a while, like I hate running. Like I'll walk all day long, but I hate to run because like I run like 15 feet and I'm like, ah. you know, no, that's not my thing. I mean, I'd rather do sprints than like long distance running, okay? But I know some long distance runners, you know, Nathan, Nathan Deal is a, is a long distance runner. He does like, you know, half marathons and stuff. And the longest I've ever run was a, was a 5K and I like walked half of it. But like people do marathons, like that's 26 miles. Are you kidding me? How do you run 26 miles? Because they have endurance. They've trained themselves to get to that point. They've trained their bodies. They've trained their muscles and their heart to get to that point. And see, sometimes for us, whether we're wrestling with God or we're wrestling with the world or we're wrestling with our own sin, we need endurance because sometimes we get tired. Actually, I don't, I don't like tired because tired makes me think of like, man, I worked hard and now I can sit down on the couch and kick my feet up and relax. and like, like it's a good thing. Sometimes we get weary. Seeing that weary is like a bone-deep tired. It's like that exhaustion that sucks the life out of us, that sucks the energy out of us. And sometimes when we get weary, we just think, can I keep going? Can I keep doing this? Why should I keep doing this? Why don't I just give up? But see, when that happens to me, I do, I do a couple of things. One, I turn off the news. Two, I deleted my social media apps. I jump on every now and again to Facebook for about five minutes a day just to see what kind of stupid, goofy jokes are on there. Because if you, thank you, Alex. Yes, he and I were having some fun with it yesterday. But like, if you follow me on Facebook, I'm sorry uh, because my jokes are really terrible. Um, but they make me laugh. Uh, you know, so I, I don't spend much time on social media anymore because it was just draining me. It was just like, oh, the negativity and all that stuff. But the third thing I do, I love what Paul is writing to the Galatian churches here. He says, Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not become weary in doing good. At the proper time. And sometimes the frustrating thing about following Jesus is that we don't get to pick the time. Come on. Jesus gets to pick the time. I'm like, no, let's right now. Come on. Or, you know, maybe Tuesday at noon. I've got, I've got five minutes there. We can do it then. No, at the proper time, we will have a harvest if we do not give up. Do not give up on God because he has not given up on you. In my 42 years of life, even before I was a Christ follower, Looking back, I can see that never once in my entire life has God failed me. Never once in my entire life has God let me down. Never once in my entire life has God left me. And he has never left you. And he never will leave you. If you turn to him. So the third thing I want us to see is that touch on the hip. I'm reading through there, I'm like... That's kind of weird. But the more I thought about it, in verse uh, 25, it says, When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Now, this was God. He could have gone like zot, you know, and, and turned Jacob into ash, right? What he couldn't do was he couldn't force Jacob to submit. Jacob was still wrestling in his own strength. And so what does God do? He touches his hip. I'm like, why the hip? You know, I have knee pain because I have some arthritis. 
You know, just this past fall, I really did a number on my ankle. I was in crutches and a boot for a long time, so I have ankle pain. And when my knee hurts or my ankle hurts, I mean, yeah, it's like, ooh, ow, ow, you know, that's bad. I got to sit down or whatever, but I can usually hobble. But I also have hip pain. And when my hip pain flares up, I go down. I mean, I've got to grab, like, the closest table, the closest person, whatever, or I'm going down to the ground because my hip just won't support my body. I don't, I don't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry, I tried not to. I tried to resist, but I couldn't. Thank you, thank you. Um, That's why I'm a pastor, not a comedian. Um, But really, like, when that hip pain flares up, I can't do anything but cling. See, and that's why I believe that God touched Jacob's hip. Because at that point, Jacob could do nothing but cling to him. And I love that. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. At that point, he was no longer fighting. He was just clinging to God. And see, I love that because one touch from God can change everything. I love in Matthew chapter 8, it's a story of the leper that Jesus heals. And so this leper, see, we understand like leprosy is a disease and it's, it's a horrible, horrible disease. And, you know, we, we know some of what it does. And, you know, they have to, they live off by themselves because it's so contagious and stuff. But, you know, they have care. There are people that care for them. There are places where they can go to be cared for. And see, but in this time, there was nothing like that. And if you were a leper in Jesus' time, not only were you physically unclean because you had this disease, but you were also ceremonial or or religiously unclean. Like nobody wanted to be around you because you would be polluted spiritually by being around them. So these lepers would have to be off by themselves. They'd have to like ring a little bell saying, leper, unclean, when somebody came close to him so that they would know. And so this leper, by approaching Jesus, he's actually flouting all these conventions. You know, he's so desperate that he, that he approaches Jesus anyway, and he kneels down before him. I love what he says, and I love Jesus' response. He says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Like, can you just hear the raw emotion in that man's voice? He's like, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's got nothing left. He's got no other chance but Jesus. And I love what Jesus says, but I love what he does first. He reaches out and touches the man. I wonder how long it had been since someone had actually touched that man. And he reaches out and touches him, and he says, I am willing. Be clean. Can you hear the love and compassion in Jesus' voice for that man? He has the same love and compassion in his heart for every single one of us. Now, there was another touch from Jesus that was not quite so fun. There's a guy named Saul who was a Pharisee, and he was persecuting the, the Christians you know, uh, throwing him in jail, you know, going on his way to try to, like, execute him and stuff. I mean, you know, really, really bad dude. And so one day he's riding on his donkey, and he's going to Damascus. All of a sudden, there's this brilliant light. He's knocked off his donkey, and here's this voice going, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that was Jesus. See, Saul had a touch from Jesus, too. But it wasn't quite the same as the touch that the leper got. Now, I mean, I'd rather have the touch that the leper got, you know. (laughs) But sometimes we need that other touch. Sometimes we need God to shake us up because that touch from Jesus changed Saul's life too, and he became Paul, the great missionary. And, you know, some scholars say that if Paul had not gone on his missionary journeys, we may not be Christians today because of, of of how Christianity spread through his work. 
So I'm thankful for that touch that Paul got. At the time, I'm sure he wasn't too thankful for it. But sometimes we need that kind of touch from God too. And that limp that Jacob had, that limp was a reminder. Every single step he took was a reminder of the encounter that he had with God. See, there's this concept in, in the Old Testament, it was called an Ebenezer. And that's Hebrew for stone of remembrance. We know that name from Ebenezer Scrooge, right? So, like, can you imagine, like, I'm going to name, what am I going to name my baby boy? How about stone of remembrance? You know, like, <laughs> like, like I'm happier with Todd when I hear about that, okay? Um, but see, names in the Old Testament, whether it's a place name or a person's name, have great meaning. Pastor Adam talked about that last week with, with the names of Joseph's sons, right? And so this Ebenezer is a stone of remembrance, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, the Israelites had just had this big battle. God miraculously delivered them from their enemies. And so they set up an Ebenezer, which is a stone of remembrance, so that every time they walked past that stone, they passed by, they would see it. And they would remember what God had done for them. And every time they walked past it with their children, they would say, look, right here, this is the spot where God delivered us. Do you have an Ebenezer in your life? I do. Mine is every time I pass an Applebee's, because in April, or excuse me, in, in uh, uh, late March of 2003, I was chopping vegetables, I was a manager at the Applebee's in Kinderville, I was in the prep kitchen at 7 a.m. chopping vegetables with Donna Fisher, it was just the two of us, and I was sobbing as I was chopping those vegetables, because I was literally at the end, and she looked at me, she said, Todd, all you have to do is reach out to him, and at that moment, I reached out to him, and everything changed. Now... My life has not been all sunshine and fluffy bunnies since. All of my problems did not magically disappear. I don't have a Ferrari. You know, actually, like, my car, that my little car that I drive, you know, we call it the roller skate because it's about the same size. You know, I mean, it could, it could easily fit up here, no problem. It could actually fit in there, I think. But the point is that when troubles come, I have hope. I have joy. I have trust that no matter what happens, God is going to see me through. And I didn't have that before. And so now every time I drive past an Applebee's, because I work there for so long, I don't eat there very often. But it's been long enough now that I, I don't know the recipes like I used to. Um, it's good food. I'm just saying I ate it so often, not like anything bad about it. So I don't get sued by Applebee's. But, um, <laughs> but every time I drive by one, just like Jacob with his limp, I remember what God did for me there. Do you have an Ebenezer in your life? Think about it. Pray about it. Ask God to show you what is something that will be a reminder for you. Next thing I want us to see is that Jacob's name was changed. Remember we talked about names and how important they are? Verse uh, 28. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. When he struggled with God, when he had that encounter with God, when he got to the place where all he could do was cling to God and everything changed for him, his identity changed too. He was no longer the deceiver. He was no longer the supplanter. He was no longer the conniver. His new name means God fights, or God commands. 
And it doesn't mean like God was fighting with him. No, it actually means like God is the one who's doing the fighting. God is the one who's doing the commanding. Like now, Jacob is a servant of God. He's really, truly a servant, and God is going with him, and God is going before him. Now he is not having to strive. He's not having to struggle. He's not having to uh, do things his own way because now he's got God on his side. And when we've got God on our side, people, everything changes. And that new name, wow. It's not just a new name. He wasn't just, oh yeah, now you're ja- you were Jacob, now you're Israel. It was a new nature. See, when we come to know Christ, the same thing happens to us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. If you are in Christ, you have been made new. There is a new creation in you. Now that doesn't mean you're not still going to have problems. It doesn't mean you're not still going to struggle with certain things. But you are made new. So stop going back to your old ways. Now that God was with Jacob, he didn't need to go back and connive. He didn't need to go and and be sketchy and set things up on his own because God was going to take care of things. And that's the same way with us. We don't need to arrange things for ourselves. I love uh, quite a bit earlier in, in Genesis, Abraham and Lot were, you know, they, they, were, they had so many flocks and stuff like that. And, you know, their herders were fighting with each other. And Abraham says, look, this is not right for us to be fighting. So Lot, if you go that way, I'm going to go this way. If you go this way, I'm going to go that way. You pick whatever you want. And he was able to do that because he trusted that God would take care of him. And sure enough, God blessed him because of that. When we leave things in God's hands, he takes care of it far better than we ever could. Does that mean I do that very well? No. Does that mean I do that very often? Maybe. We're not going to go too deep into that. But No, I mean, like, it's hard sometimes to surrender things. And so what I find myself doing is surrendering once again daily, sometimes hourly, to God. It's an ongoing process. The last thing I want us to see today is that the sun rose. Verse 31. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now remember, Peniel means, I have seen God face to face and lived. That sun rose. It was a new day. And when we encounter God, when we come to the place where we are submitted before him, It's a new day for us, too. I love what Psalm 30, uh, verse 5 says. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Will you stand with me, please? You may feel like it is night in your life right now. I know this has been such a terrible, difficult year for so many of us. We've lost loved ones. People have lost jobs. People have lost businesses. Uh, You know, you've lost friends. You've lost relationships. So much pain and loss. Sorrow lasts for the night. But joy comes in the morning. But if you remember the, the scripture right before that that I read, for those who are in Christ the new creation comes. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're online, and you have not yet 
placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. It's easy. All you have to do is just admit that you need Jesus. Admit that you can't do it on your own, that you can't win God's approval, that you can't do the right things, that you can't stop sinning. Just say, Jesus, I accept your sacrifice that you made for me on the cross so that I could come back to you. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come up to the front here. Those of you who are online in the chat, there's going to be a a window, a button that you can click. And if you do click on that button, please also click the next button that comes and send us a message and let us know because we want to talk with you. We want to pray with you. So that's your opportunity. If you have not yet met Jesus, come up here. We'll have some people pray with you. But if you've already met Jesus, but you're like I was years ago, your cup is full. And your cup is full of all those things of the world or your cup is full of anger or sorrow or bitterness or any of those other things, I want to invite you to come up to the front too because we want to pray for you that, that those things will be emptied out from your cup. So this is your chance. You don't have to live that way. You can be made new. You can be refilled. So everybody, please close your eyes. Pray with me. So if you're still in your seat and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus, pray this with me. Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sins. I thank you that you cared enough to not just leave me. And I thank you for your love. I turn from my sin and I put Jesus in charge of my life and I surrender my life to him. I want that new nature that only comes through faith in Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, welcome to the family. Your life is going to be different from here on out. If you did pray that prayer for the first time, please come and talk to me, talk to Pastor David, one of our worship, talk to somebody because we want to, we want to talk with you. We want to pray with you because this is the best decision you have ever made. 